You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello from Chicago Unifieds and welcome to Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world in the central time zone and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I am your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, that's Musical Theater College Auditions, and today we have a super fun, off-the-rails show lined up for you. Jimmy Nicholas is on the show today, and it is a very special show for me, as he's a former student of mine, not only of MTCA, but mine personally, and he's all grown up, and it's just thrilling to see him so successful. Um, And he's really fun and funny in the show, and I think you'll see a little bit of a looser side of me today, uh, since I can't help poking fun at him occasionally, since I knew him when he was just a wee one. Um, Just one warning for those parents out there who might be listening to the show alongside younger children, that there are a few instances of swearing that pop into this episode. Nothing too bad. I think certainly nothing that would offend our 16, 17-year-old listeners. Um, But I know a lot of families listen in the car and potentially could have younger children. So I just want to lay out there as a warning, we normally try to keep this a pretty clean podcast. But there were just a few bombs dropped in there for comedic effect. You may also notice, you may be noticing currently, that my sound quality is not as high as it normally is because I'm recording this episode from Chicago Unifieds and I did not bring all of my fancy equipment. Um, But I have to say, it has been such a delight to see so many of our families here uh, and I have just been so touched by all the kind words about the podcast from both students and parents. It really means so much uh, to me. So thank all of you for for those words. Um, So many of you have told me how you've been listening to the the pods right before meeting the faculty, which I love love. Um, Some people told me how glad they were to have the podcast when the schools came at them with those inevitable, do you have any questions for us, which often ends an audition, and they were armed with some fun trivia and some fun facts. Yay, that's a great use of the pod. Uh, And some of the parents just talked to me about how much um, they kind of learned from the whole experience and learned about the process and how comforting it was to them. So thank you all for those kind words. It really, it really means a lot. Um, To all my seniors listening now, Keep going. You're almost to that finish line. You're almost to that next exciting step of receiving your results. Um, And for our juniors and younger students who are listening and haven't yet met MTCA, I just want to make sure I also mention that we have an upcoming free junior workshop on February 27th from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. I know that some of our current families have asked us, hey, how can I get back to MTCA? And I'll just remind you, we are a company that survives almost entirely on referrals. So we do greatly appreciate you sending any students our way you think might be a good fit for us. And the same, of course, goes for all of our podcast listeners. You can either recommend the podcast or you can directly let people know about our junior workshop on February 27th and they can sign up there. It is free with, of course, no obligation beyond that. And it's really just a chance to meet me and meet Megan and learn a little bit more about how to launch your personal process with MTCA. You can head to the link in the show notes of this episode or go to our main website. That's mtcollegeauditions.com and click 
Junior Workshop. So any of you, if you do recommend that to anyone, I really appreciate that, of course. Um, in other news, for those of you who have subscribed, and I know you've all subscribed, alongside rating us and reviewing us, another great way to give back, a rating and a review we love. Um, five stars, of course, please. Um, we're going to be releasing a bonus episode um, sometime in the next few weeks. I don't want to promise Megan's editing uh, responsibility in terms of when it will come out, but hopefully sometime soon um, in the next few weeks. We have some interviews from Unifieds. I've been going around um, grabbing some quick moments with some parents and students in our green room whenever possible. And I think we have some really fun content, some really good wisdom in there too, but also a lot of some silly fun, um, you know, which can kind of help look back on the experience, put a bow on it, and maybe pay forward to the next generation. Um, so please stay tuned for that. I brought... Uh, a tiny ch children's microphone that was originally bought for my six-year-old niece. Um, and I've been sort of sticking it in the faces of random parents and, uh, and seeing what comes. That's what I'm recording on right now as I say this. Okay, that was a long intro. So let's get to this episode with Jimmy Nicholas. I think you will all really enjoy. Well, we are so excited, a little bit titillated, and... Uh, we feel very old to be having the wonderful Jimmy Nicholas on the pod. Jimmy, most importantly, is a former MTCA student and a former acting student of this very podcast host. He has a BFA from Carnegie Mellon University. Uh, he's done lots of TV and film, including probably most notably, he was Hawkins on Chicago Fire. He's been in Fathers and Daughters, Time Traveler's Wife, Madam Secretary, The Good Wife, a hundred others. He was on Broadway in The Book of Mormon, uh, covering Elder Price. Um, he's also a super fitness guru guy. He's an instructor at Soul Cycles and Berries and literally everything else. Um, Jimmy also has a podcast, which you may be listening to my voice on if you're listening to everything but the kitchen sink, because um, we're going to run this uh, episode on both podcasts. Jimmy, welcome to the show. How are you feeling today? Charlie, I'm feeling great because your mustache. So this is the real question for me. Are you burying the lead? Do the listeners know that Charlie is rocking a fantastic mustache? This is new to the Charlie Murphy yeah. zeitgeist yes. for me. It's very new. It was, there was no when, when you taught me when yep. you taught my brother yep. no mustache and now you're Charlie Mustache Murphy. It's, it's a, <laughs> you talk about titillated. I, I'm titillated and I'm tickled. So when you read my bio, can I have the mustache bio? It's so funny because so it's about a year old and it okay. it's amazing to me that it freaks out like nobody in my life because I think I look so weird with a mustache. Anyone meeting me new is like, oh yeah, you're a guy with a mustache. It's normal for you. All of my yeah. former students like yourself are all like. You look crazy. I'm freaked out. You look like a pornographer. You look like they're like so freaked out, but they're like, it's dirty. I hate it. My partner loves it, Jimmy. That's what the problem who, is. My partner likes it. Who are these students? How dare they? I know. First of all, they suck. I don't yes. even know who they are and they suck. I, yeah. I'll tell you what, it wasn't me. I didn't say you well, look it weird. It was you. No, I'm just saying, I'm including you in the group of those ones. I just want to say it was absolutely yes. you. You're part of it. Yes, yes. Um, Jimmy, we're deeply and fully off the rails already. These people want to hear about your life. They don't want to hear about my mustache. They know about it. They've seen it on the that social media. That is not true. They have zero desire to hear about me. They're, they're like, who is this guy? What does he do? No. Um, listen, if off the rails is the name of any conversation I've ever yep. been in in my life. But I'd like to start off by um, saying one of my favorite Charlie Murphy memories, oh, which was you telling me to beat out my monologue. A little backstory for the people. 
Um, I knew nothing about acting at, at all. I can attest that. That's true. Thank you. No. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. You were so gracious to me, so generous to me when I when I started in that, like, you didn't completely be like, man, this kid's awful. Mm-hmm. But the best was you were like, okay, I want you to beat it out. I want you to like, you know, beat out the monologue. I was like, sick. I can totally do that. And you're like, I want you to kind of give me some like intentions, some actionable verbs in this. And I'm like, sick. Yeah, I do that all the time. And you, And I came in with my homework. This was like day two. And I was like, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be really hard at the beginning oh, and no. I'm going to be really soft at the end. And you were like, okay, so. <laughs> so that's not what we're talking about. That's, that's not what we're talking about. No, no. <laughs> I literally was like, I was like, so let me hit you with this one. You, yeah. You're like, hard, soft, hard, soft. It's beat it up. Um, do you remember, do you have like vivid memories of our coaching together? Because I have such vivid oh, yeah. memories of you, like a stealing time in the hallways of Carnegie Mellon where you would like come visit and I'd be like, okay, we're going to go in this hallway and I'm going to coach. I'm not, I don't have a studio reserved. Yes. We're just going to sneak in the hallways. Yeah, we did one session in the wells, like one of my first uh-huh. sessions where I like re- I cold read some monologues to you yeah. in the wells. This is a studio, Carnegie Mellon, for those who don't know this. Yeah, and I remember that. Um, and and I think that like for me too, that was such a formative like two month process or three month process because uh, for all the listeners and you know for anybody listening on you know my my feed. Uh, the, the the college audition process is a very obviously expansive process mm-hmm. uh, and it's only become more expansive. And, and I really decided that I was going to do this whole thing like really late in the game. Charlie, I don't know if you know this background, but essentially like I was supposed to do, I was pretty committed to music education. Mm-hmm. I was ki- pretty committed to doing music education and then like uh, trying to coach football at some high school that I would like teach music and coach football. That was like what I was committed to. And I went and toured Michigan this is the cockiest cocky story. So everybody, I apologize. 17 year old me really sucked. Um, <laughs> so I went on the Michigan tour of their school of music, theater and dance. And this like tour guide, which is very funny. Cause I ended up being like a three year tour guide at Carnegie Mellon. So I, you know, I think about this story often, but the tour guide is like going through each department and I did musicals all the time. I just didn't see it as a viable field. And uh, we get to like, the, I think the musical theater part of the building or whatever. And the girl is like, our musical theater program is really, really intense and really hard to get into. Like nobody gets in. And I like, for some reason in the front row, like mm-hmm. raised my hand and I was like, I could get in. <laughs> I don't know you, why. I didn't even ask a question. Yeah. I just was like, I could get in. Yeah, probably. And, and everybody, everybody on the tour was like, this kid's the worst. And I left that. <laughs> And I was, I was in the car with my stepmom and I was like, I want to prove mm-hmm. that I could get into these schools. I don't want to do it. I just want to prove that I could do it. And so I made the decision in August of my senior year, which was super late in the process, uh-huh. that I was just going to see what would happen if I tried for musical theater at these schools. And then I had this like, um, amazingly enough, which connecting to Mitka is kind of another crazy story, but two months with all of you of like this crash course in realizing that I knew nothing. <laughs> and, then, and then trying to channel me in some direction for auditions. <laughs> Please, let's just be clear. No, my name is not Charlie Mustache Murphy. And MTCA, we do not call it Mitka. Let's just be clear, okay? We're not dropping. Oh, I call it you're Mitka. You're trying to rename. You're trying to drop new. You don't call it Mitka? No. I we... call it Mitka when I talk about it in anything. Everything. Siri calls it Mitka. Siri will be like, uh, you have a text message from Mitka. I'm like, uh, no, that's not what we say, Siri. Siri Siri's never let me down. No, Her soft, right. supple tone. But Jamie, here's what I want want to know in terms of your perspective, your perception of me as a coach um, from you all those those years ago. 
is do you realize how young I was when I was coaching? You're one of my first students. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And like, yes. I, I must have seemed like a wise sage to you, but I myself was like 19 and 20 when I was coaching you. You know, well, here, here's the, the, I think anybody who's coached at anything who, you know, I, I personally, even like with, with coaching or with training. And for those of you that don't know, my brother ended up kind of going through this process years after me as well. And you realize you're like, I'm not a teacher. I could never uh -huh. teach or I, I don't know anything. And then someone does something and you're like, oh, I, I have thoughts and I have mm -hmm. questions. And I think I, and then you're like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's what teaching is. <laughs> and then, so same thing with you. Like you asked all the questions that I needed asked to me. And I felt extremely well taken care of, even though at the time you were only 23, maybe 24. Younger, younger. I was in school. Like, like, I was like you 19, were, 20. That's what I'm were, saying. Is like, were, I was a child. You were you were very young, and, but but I didn't know that. In no, my I mind, I was like, time. and you're also you had this air about you. You had this mm -hmm. air. Like at one point, I came over to your house, I think, or your parents' mm -hmm. house in Pittsburgh. Yes, I did not own a house. I uh, I felt uh, I felt very cared for. Yeah. So you 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 were wisdom beyond your years. All right. Enough compliments of me. We want to talk about you a little bit, and and let's talk. We won't do too much more on the college process, I promise. But I want to chat a little bit about. So come that August, now you decide you're going to do musical theater programs. You do it only yeah. competitively, just to show all the you know girls who said you couldn't do it that you could. Um, uh, I sucked. As, as you were looking at programs. Can you talk about a little bit, like, do you remember what your list ended up being? Certainly you worked with MCCA, so we helped you a little bit with the, the school list. But do you remember like once you said, or maybe once you got a little bit beyond just proving um, that you could, what were you looking for in a theater program? What were you hoping, you know, as you said, I'm going to look at now Michigan and Carnegie Mellon obviously on the list. I remember CCM was on the list, right? As you were looking at these different yeah. schools, what were you looking for in the programs? Well, and I think that whole, first of all, I'm a, I'm a competitor at heart. Like I... I still, to this day, like I compete at the world championships for Spartan. I compete mm -hmm. at the world championships for high rocks. I'm a competitive person. I'll compete until the day I die. So the competition of getting into those programs was the mask of, of doing that. But I think it was also to protect me from, uh, the feelings of insecurity of the fact that I did worry about what a life in the theater would look like. Mm -hmm. My parent, like when I told my mom I was going to do this, my mom like kind of didn't talk to me for two weeks. Uh -huh. She was like pretty opposed to it because my mom was in the business for a long time, did stand up comedy, did musicals. And she just always was like, you're way too smart right. to, to do that. So putting this mask is like, it's this fun thing that I'm doing was this way to protect myself and my family uh -huh. from the fact that like, you know, you wanted it. Yeah. You, you wanted it and maybe you fell. Yeah. Right. And what I talk to students though, and when you're picking your school list for me, you know, I think auditioning for schools is a great, um, uh, a bit of a trial period, a great testing out of what a life in the business is going to be like, because the number one thing you're going to feel is rejection. Mm -hmm. And then also, if you're able to rise to some of these programs, especially like top end programs, I think that's a great indicator on if it's going to be a life for you in a lot of ways. First of all, because you're going to know those top programs for me, at least the money is worth it. You know, uh, I'm still, I'm the president of the New York Drama Alumni Association for Carnegie Mellon because I believe that our training at Carnegie Mellon is worth our time there. Mm -hmm. And I want to help other students who are going through that. For me, I made my list of, I think it was uh, close to 10. I thought, okay, I think I'll get in somewhere between, you know, two to five of these was my goal. 
And if I don't get into these 10, I won't go into this. Jimmy, you are nearly a professional podcast host. I just wanted to say you have like hit almost all the things we're going to talk about later. So you're telling me about <laughs> fitness. We're going to get into that. We're talking about NIDAC that's coming up. We're talking about uh, Caleb for certain, certain later. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about, um, do you remember at the end of the process? So you had, yeah. uh, if I remember correctly, and I think you had multiple, more than just two options, but you had narrowed it yeah. down. To, and it, tell me if this is right. This is you know me trying to remember 15 years ago. Um, I remember a conversation like I was in my car. Anyway, it's a whole other thing. But you were saying it was between CCM Musical Theater and Carnegie Mellon yeah. Acting, right? Those were the choices where you go, yeah. you had this great offer from CCM Musical Theater and you wanted to do musical theater, but you felt like the school of Carnegie Mellon was a school that you felt you fit the most and you had an acting offer there. I mean, not musical theater. Is that the do yeah. first? I sum that up right. And do you remember sort of what your thought process was as you then? Because it did seem, didn't seem like it was an easy final decision for you. I remember you really struggled with it. Oh no! I, it was to the eleventh hour. The best was I tried to shake down Barbara at Carnegie. I was like, <laughs> I, I might not go there unless you flip me to musical theater. Do you want to lose me? Like I literally like seventeen yeah. year old me really just like was was like I'm gonna be so confident yeah. that like they. Just, she was like, so I'm I okay losing you. Don't worry. Yeah, no, I'm fine. She was like, Oh, which, I won't lose any sleep over it. Which brings me to another amazing conversation that happened when my grades sucked at the end of my senior year and I get a random car from Barbara that's like, do you want us to kick you out? Which, which that, but Ooh. before I got there, that's another conversation. Um, so basically though, for me, like when I got the acceptance to Carnegie Mellon, I cried because I was mad. I mm -hmm. cried because I was like, why don't they want me to come sing there? I was hurt. I well, was you're getting hurt one because... of 24 slots and you're like... Man, it's not one of the 12 that I wanted. Okay. I know, which, but, but it spoke to the fact that I wanted it so bad there. Mm -hmm. From the moment, now to a little bit of backstory, one of my best friends who was like my, one of my big enemies in high school, but um, uh, eventually I was best man at his wedding, um, John Jorgensen, he had gotten into Carnegie Mellon the year before me for musical theater. So this whole competition thing as well, mm -hmm. I wanted to prove that I was also as good as him. Mm -hmm which is irrational because like at the end of the day, I just got lucky getting into Carnegie. Like if someone has a bad sandwich before my monologue, I might not have gotten in. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I, I, I wanted it. And then, I mean, I thought I crushed it there on the day. I felt mm -hmm. like every phase I brought it. I felt like calf was loving my adjustments. I, I just was room to room. I, I, they like paraded me around room mm -hmm. to room. I felt like a show pony. I was like, I'm getting in here. Mm -hmm. And, and so then, yeah. And, and, and then to, you know, to feel like oh, for acting, you yeah. know, I, I cried. I was at a rest stop in Ohio because we were driving from some school we were auditioning. And I cleaned myself in the Oasis, the like rest stop mirror and cried. And then I, you know, got myself together and I was like, what a wonderful opportunity. Like, shut your mouth, Jimmy. Are we allowed to swear? No. You can swear <laughs> um, a, a normal amount. Oh, okay. You just got into Carnegie Mellon. You're not going to cry right now. <laughs> How many people would be grateful for this, you little shit? Like I like said that talk to myself. I'm glad you did so that I didn't have to say that to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then Cincinnati, which like I, when I got in for musical theater there, I also tried to use that at Carnegie. I was like, see, the yeah, other school that's good. great for musical theater, they love me singing. Like, you know, see, which is very funny. Um, and uh, I had an so many amazing tours at Carnegie Mellon. And my family like knew that I felt at home there. I felt like this is a place I could grow. And, and, I, and I looked around and I saw people like me. I felt like I... I saw, which we'll get to in a second when I decided to go there, but um, Cincinnati, 
I, what I was impressed by at Cincinnati was I knew that all of my skills would be really enhanced there. Mm -hmm. I could tell that I would leave there a very good dancer, even uh -huh. though I was just a mover. I could tell that vocally they would work me. And I felt like from an acting standpoint, I, I could figure it out, you know. Mm -hmm. But what was amazing was when I toured Cincinnati, um, first of all, my future Cunningham was in the class that I followed for the whole day. So mm -hmm. Lee Slobodkin met him that day. And, uh, amazing because then like we went to, we went to Mormon camp, just me and him together. We, they rarely do that, but they brought on a price and a Cunningham for Broadway uh -huh. together. And so like, you know, my, my mission companion for life. Uh, but my tour guide is Jordan was Jordan Firstman, who now has a huge Instagram following is hilarious. Jordan mm -hmm. and Jordan is also really good friends with my friend, Brian. And so I followed around Jordan Firstman for the day, which if you know Jordan Firstman, he is this larger than life personality. He's so ridiculously funny. And I was like, this guy is amazing. And to his credit, he, he could sing his face off because I listened to Jordan's voice lessons and all this stuff. But, you know, he kind of like pulled me aside and he was like, so like, what are you thinking between Carnegie and Cincinnati? And he was like, uh, you know, well, like, what's your what are you best at? You know, mm -hmm. and I'm like well, I feel like I'm best at acting and I feel like CMU is going to make me the best actor that I can be. And in my mind, I was like, and I don't think Cincinnati is necessarily like known for acting and storytelling. And to be fair, Jordan responded and was like, oh, I'm an actor first. Don't you worry. I'm an actor first. I get yeah, that. Yeah, go Jordan. Yeah. Which at the time, I hadn't really seen him act much. And I was like, okay, singing boy. I was like, all right, acting first. Now, in my years sense, I'm like, Jordan is a far better actor than me, far better writer than me, and is incredible. And he knew it that day at 19. He mm -hmm. was like, shut up. I'm better than you. And has proved that, uh, which is incredible. I love what I love about that story. And, and it's something I tell our MTC students so so off, or our Mtika students, if you want to say it that way. Um, Mitka. Hey, Mitka. You say Mitka. Oh, my gosh. Mitka, I can't do. No. Um, it's just the idea that, like, the, your collaborators in your, and I love it in some ways, I mean, you're looking at it from the sports end, so it's more like your competitors or people you're competing against, right? But but sure. those become your colleagues and those become your cohorts in this business. And like, people don't really believe that. They're sort of like, oh, we're all trying to get into school and then we go off into our separate school. I'm like, but then you come back and you all yes. live together and work together and you make the art together. Cause it's, you know, of course there's competition to get jobs, but this is in essence, you know, I often talk about like co-opetition. It's like, there's some competitive elements to it, but we are like, collaborative artists who also like the art that we're making is together you know nobody puts on a show alone so it is that thing where like you're gonna from all these different schools and all these different people who went through this experience you know then you all come and help each other and you film self-tapes together and you do all that stuff in the city it yeah and it's just i mean you're even you 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 expand to go to your schools and then you all end up in new york and la mm -hmm. so you end up just coming back to those same people that you met on the group chats when you were auditioning wherever um but to your original question before I went on my Jordan Firstman tangent, my, I mean, I found I found my best friends for life at that place. I was blessed beyond belief with the best class. And my guys in our class are incredibly close to this day. Mm -hmm. Like seven of them just were, uh, you know, flew to a different city to celebrate my birthday with me. You know, they're mm -hmm. my groomsmen. They're my my brothers for life. And, and the people of that class, like, um, so... I'm so, so grateful, like forget career, forget all that stuff. My like life mm -hmm. people were that group. And because of your, uh, because of your counsel and because of Leo's counsel, I made the right decision, which was 
amazing. Well, and it's so much of what school is about, to your point. It is about training, but it's also, yeah, you meet some of your best friends for your life. Often people do meet oh, in yeah. college. And some people meet their partners and they meet all this, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, we'll talk about the career that you had, which I think both Leah and I probably suspected from you that, you know, people think like you're either an actor or you're a musical theater student. And it's like, it's not quite as binary as that. Like it is in training to some extent, but of course you can have all these amazing diverse careers, whether you're musical theater and you end up in television or whether you're an actor and you end up in musicals. Um, Let's talk about the training. So how did you pursue over the four years? Obviously keeping up to some extent your musical training and that this was something that you were going to continue to do for, for your life though. I know you're going to spend a lot of time on TV too, but like, Talk to me about the four years. So, so what did you learn as an actor? How did you grow as an actor? And then also, how did you keep up some of those musical skills, knowing that that was something you weren't getting as much as as you would have gotten at a CCM? If you if you are first of all, I think your first year at college, the average American student changes their degree five times, which is kind of absurd. If you count if you count degree changes or university changes up mm-hmm. to five times, um, which is a great guy. If any guidance counselor is listening, by the way, tell that to any 17 year old who has no idea what they want to do. They don't have to know. So I think your first year in an arts program is making a decision of, hey, does this hobby that I really enjoyed, is this something that I want to be that something that drives revenue for me, which not everybody feels mm-hmm. because sometimes you do it and we end up with a lot of theater advocates because of this. Your yeah. first year, you realize I loved theater but I'm going to be a theater advocate and I'm actually going to do something else. So your first year, I think is figuring that out. Yep. Um, And then I think for your next three years and specifically at Carnegie, like you have to have a relentless pursuit of um, relentless pursuit of, of getting better at the things you want to get better at. And, you know, I think that's, a life as an artist, but I had a relentless pursuit of wanting to get better as a singer. I had a relentless pursuit of wanting to get better as a dancer. And I had to be annoying. Mm-hmm. I had to be the kid who was like, I'm going to re-audition and start over again as a freshman MT. If you don't let me into this class, why won't you let me into this class? Mm-hmm. Gary, I know you're busy. I need you to teach me voice lessons. Mm-hmm. I, because I knew I could be competitive in the field. And I, even my classmates, like so many of my classmates would, I think, look at me as kind of like an annoying gnat because mm-hmm. I would just buzz into whatever class and be like, yeah, I'm, you're I'm not an MT, Jimmy. No, nope. get out. Yeah. You're not. And I'd be like, nope, I'm taking music skills. Like, I'll mm-hmm. never forget Thomas Douglas, who is the greatest professor on this planet. Shout um, out Thomas Douglas. The best. And music skills, like, like, thank God when I buzzed into his office, he was like, I like this kid. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can come. I mean, that was a life-changing class my freshman year. It's called music skills, but we recalled it life skills. Mm-hmm. And uh, just just buzzing into rooms and saying, I belong here. And then yep. buzzing into cabaret and saying, I belong here. Yep. And um, and that was allowed me to maximize my time there. And then I got the best of both worlds because I, anytime I like didn't want to associate with the MTs, I'm like, I'm not an MT. No, no, I'm an actor though, bro. I'm, I'm an actor, an actor. Man. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like that, it's all just frosting on the cake. Yeah, you guys smoked a lot too. I can tell. Yeah, I'm just just chain smoking. <laughs> it's the boys' classes. That's what they're like. Why is this chain smoker in class? We're indoors. Um, I want to talk a little bit. You mentioned your brother. You were sweet enough to years later um, both send us your brother, but then I know also you were helping him along the way too. We sort of like tag teamed yeah. and like helping Caleb yeah. and, and his process. And he must be now just about to a senior. Ah, oh, yes. Caleb, a how's that senior possible? at Syracuse. I know. Yes. At Syracuse, yes. Amazing. 
Amazing. Okay, so w- what did you then learn about the process? You started talking a little bit about you know learning about yourself as a teacher. What? How did the process now look different to you the first time you look back on it from the perspective more of a coach or more of a guide or a mentor to your brother? Like, did did it feel different now that you're like, oh gosh, I'm not the one in it just pr- disproving everyone else, but seeing the ho- sort of the whole you know sausage get made in the, in the process. Yeah, I think that, you know, I, I work at these nonprofit camps, or I did for a long time for this company that I, I worked for for a really long time, and I directed these camps every summer. Um, and so I, I probably camp counseled about 6,000 musical theater kids from the, mm. like from about mm, 2010, 2011, even from, like from when I was in high school through uh, 2020. And I would see the process for all of them. And so much so that I have so many campers who were, I camp counseled who then went to Carnegie, which was crazy mm-hmm. as well to be like, you know, so, but, but the beautiful thing about those processes, was I was able to like, just kind of like give some wisdom at the beginning, give some thoughts, talk with them when they're having a bad day and mm-hmm. then give them advice on which school to pick mm-hmm. like pretty, you know, or occasionally do a quick session with them where I coach them on their monologues or their songs, helping them kind of fine tune. Um, but for Caleb, it was a real exercise in uh, teaching someone to fish instead of catching someone a fish for them, uh-huh. which was hard for me because all you want to do is just like grab the steering wheel and be like, we're going to like, eh, and, and you do it. This is how you do it. It's this way. This is how you do it. And I've done it and I'm doing it, you yeah. know? And um, what I was really proud of in, in that process was I would really just kind of set the table for him and then let him do whatever he was going to do. Right. Um, and I think the toughest part, and I think any parent listening to this can, if you have gone through it, you understand it. And if you're about to go through it, like that period of time, uh, March to May mm-hmm. of where you're getting your acceptances and rejections is unbelievably hard on the person who is helping someone through that. Yep. Because at that point, not only are you, you know, off the steering wheel, but like, you all you want to do is like fix whatever the situation is and you know there's going to be a ton of rejections and all the kid is going to think is i'm not enough and like that is devastating it's easy when i'm going through it because i know what's going on in my head it's very hard when it's a loved one and you're like i hope they're okay but beautifully for caleb he ended up exactly where he should be and uh similarly his class at syracuse they are extremely close I actually hired him and a bunch of his friends for an event recently. Um, and they're all so talented and, um, you know, there's a program for everybody and, and, you know, That's so true. Caleb well, was another example of that. And it's such wisdom. I mean, it's, you know, I'm gonna say it's such wisdom because it's stuff that I say. So of course I think things I say are wise. Um, but like we're right now, as we record this, we're between New York city unifieds and Chicago unifieds. And so many of the okay. parents come into the green room. We do like green rooms at each of these cities and they come in and they're like, you can feel the stress. And I think so much of the stress is because they don't have control of the process. It's so hard to watch. They've done so much helping. They've done so much guidance through the process. But now they've got a, their child is walking into those rooms and doing it. And it is so hard, I think, to watch the process from the outside and go, I just know if this were going different or if I could affect this different. But you can't. The, the child's got to go in there and they got to sing and they got to dance and they got to act. And you just have to like take the ride but not have the steering wheel. And it's just, I don't, it can be really, it can be really difficult, especially for someone you love and you care about and all that to go, oh, no, don't crash, you know. Um, 
They also right. probably feel like they've dropped into Wonderland. Like most of these parents aren't in the arts. Oh, so they're cool. dropped off at this play at this hotel with a bunch of like screaming kids who are the very eccentric and just like yeah. so amped up on like caffeine and adrenaline and anxiety yeah. and nerves and, and you're, them, yeah. you're you're it's bursting and you're like, this is for some people heaven and for some people hell. Oh, yeah. Uh because oh, yeah. it's terrifying. <laughs> it's no terrifying. doubt about that. Um all right, let's jump through college a little bit. And I want to because I want to get into your career, especially in the second half, we'll talk a little more of your career. But um okay. I, talk to me about your showcase experience. So, you know, talk to me about those years. So you're failing, you failing college, you almost didn't make it out. We can hear a little of that. But now you do make it, <laughs> clearly. You've, I didn't know that that was true, but you graduate and you, oh, no. you do some showcases. You're gonna, you know, did you get some big bites from showcases? How did then you navigate the signing with representation and meeting casting people? people and you know eventually you're going to get into this wonderful early career life how does that all happen for you how does that transition from 23 to you know whatever you are now 42 um yeah mainly i was failing because of indoor smoking laws i just kept getting kicked out of class and i was like i don't understand the problem i'm just trying to you know drag some cigs here i'm just trying um, to be a genuine actor i'm like i thought this was jazz class i'm not allowed to smoke you ever been to a jazz club in new york city i mean come on <laughs> so Showcase is if if college auditions are a hellscape of you feeling like you are literally getting examined in every possible way and like people are just looking under the hood of you. Showcase is that about times 10 because it's also like it, at least in school, if someone is in a like someone's talking to you in a room. They're thinking about like, do they want to spend four years with you? Mm -hmm. Do they want to work with you? Part of giving a note isn't to see like how good it is at the end of the note. It's just to see how you take the note and how you talk about taking the note and like how open you are and what kind mm -hmm. of soul you have. Mm -hmm. For the most part at Showcase, they really don't care about that at about all. Your soul. I mean, they're not saying what a beautiful soul I want to sign. Yeah. Managers, yeah. managers will because like, uh, um, you know, for anybody going through that process, agents, are much more um, emails, brass tacks, submit, uh, you know, that's, they have a lot of people that that's how you keep agents afloat. Um, managers, they're a text away and a call away. So from a management standpoint, a manager does want to make sure that you're a good person that they're going to enjoy spending mm -hmm. time with. And most importantly, you are interviewing them to see if they are someone you want to spend time with and mm -hmm. pay, you pay them. Mm -hmm. uh, just a reminder for all those folks. So, that's a crazy process. And I think the only way to go into showcase, for me at least, you have to plan for the worst case scenario always. So I went into showcase and I was like, okay, cool. I'm not scared of this thing because worst case scenario, no one wants to sign me. What happens if no one signs me? I will use showcase as an opportunity to get the contact information for all of these casting directors who mm -hmm. will be there. Mm -hmm. That They actually give jobs. So I was like, cool. My goal is not agents and managers. My goal is casting directors. If I get one interview, I'll be happy. And then I was like convinced that I was like, and if I get that one interview, I will kill that interview. Mm -hmm. They will have no choice but to offer me. So I went in with that expectation. Anything above that was gravy. Lucky for me, I went to a school that is, has a very well-attended showcase that has people who offer almost everybody. Um, and so that was never really, I mean, I shouldn't say that there are plenty of people who go to Carnegie who don't have offers. I wasn't, I wasn't really going to get no meetings. That wasn't going to happen. And lucky for me, um, I signed with, uh, HCKR, uh, at the time, which was called Harden Curtis mm -hmm. at the time. And now is called HCKR. And then, um, we I met my, that's what we call Charlie giving me shit, ladies and mm -hmm. gentlemen, and people of all over. giving you blurp. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so anyway, I, I, I signed with HCKR, which, it, which honestly though, if picking a school was something that was weighed and measured and I had lots of good counsel, picking an agency is just feels so random. Like <sighs> you have, you're like, I guess this feels good. And the day that I made the decision, I was like, I, you know, nothing. I love all the people over there, Michael, Diane, Nancy, everybody. But I was kind of like, I don't know. I was just like, sure. Um, mm-hmm. Lucky for me, I also found my manager, Yoni, um, who at the time was with Generate Talent and is now with uh, Zero Gravity. And uh, those were exactly the people that I needed at that point in my career. And uh, amazingly enough, I'm still with that agency and that manager. Now, really cool. there's there's been a big journey to that. Yep. Um Anybody uh, who, if we talk auditioning in general, don't believe anybody who tells you that because like you have a paper in your hand when you're doing some sort of audition that you should at all be using that piece of paper. And (laughs) my preparation was so piss poor Uh my first year out of school. You're failing senior year from smoking. What do you think? You you just carry that forward into your career, it sounds like. I know. I thought that I was God's gift to the industry. Uh And I was like, I went to Carnegie Mellon. I'm going to be a star. Everybody's Uh told me this. You know, again, this ego, um, which again, it's the the yin and the yang because you have that ego, but then also you're constantly cutting yourself down. Uh But, But from a preparation standpoint, I wasn't preparing correctly. I was, uh-huh. I was not memorized correctly. I was not preparing where I could actually book jobs in the room. Mm-hmm. So I was getting appointments, but I wasn't getting jobs off it. And then um, I had an amazing, amazing audition with Meg Simon, who used to be at Fox. Finley mm-hmm. Davidson now runs that office where I finished the first take of the scene and she turned off the camera mm-hmm. and Meg, you know, <laughs> will be honest with you. And she's like, Jimmy, you went to Carnegie Mellon. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. She's like, I know you're talented. I've seen you do good stuff. That was a waste of my time. Ooh. Ooh. God bless her. Looks right at me. That was a waste of my time. Mm-hmm. You're better than that. What What do you want from me if you give me that? And mm. I had no words. My eyes started to well up really bad. And she was like, when you come back, if you come back, mm-hmm. prove me wrong, because the notes that I have to put down are not good. Oh my! God. And it Bless wasn't a small. Moment. It wasn't a small. It was not a small part. Yeah. I mean, we're talking like series regular. Yeah. Like the kind of appointments that now, as like, no, I'm ready. To, I'm ready to go. Yes. I'm ready to film. I'm ready yeah. to be on set. Yeah. Like I went in there and was kind of like, I get the vibe. But and I'm going to kind of give you the vibe. Right. You and, and you, and the, I love that you're talking about this in your first year. We talked about it a little bit with Marsha DeBonis, who was a casting director who came on um, uh, a month ago, that like, you don't realize how precious that first year, like most people no. who don't have experience don't get called in for series regulars, except in that moment when, when Meg will go, I'll give you a shot. I'll take, I'll give a look to you. But I'm like, you're not getting that look again until you've done so many things in your career yeah. to yeah. get to and earn like- that series regular. And you're going to grad school for auditioning. So mm-hmm. I'm not mad at 22-year-old Jimmy. I want to give 22-year-old Jimmy a hug and tell him it's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, I'm not mad at how he showed up. He he didn't know any better. Yeah. I, I try to talk to people and, and I try to tell them, but I'm a burn my hand on the stove kid. Uh-huh. Like, I, I had to figure that out for myself. You're so a raise your when... hand and say, I'm going to get into the school kind of kid with no question. <laughs> That's the kind of person that you are. Well, well but humbling. Now, wait, wait. 
did you did you then send Meg a thank you note? Like, did you uh, did you does she from later here like, hey, you really impacted my career from saying that? I really appreciate it. Uh, I I let my actions speak in the fence. The fact that the next audition I showed up for was uh-huh. for Riverdale for Jughead, um, and I remember I I absolutely crushed that audition. Uh-huh. I, I there was a long monologue narration monologue that you were told you were like allowed to use the paper if you wanted and you to. You're off off book. You knew what you're doing. I put yeah, that yeah. shit under my chair. I was like ready to go. And like when it went to um, Cole Sprouse, I remember being like, okay, like I'll take the L on that one. Like I'm not Cole Sprouse, mm-hmm. but you know, I remember walking into that, and I also then was a reader at that office multiple times where mm-hmm. I showed up and you know would talk to Megan Finley and, and, um, and I tell, I, I've, I've thanked her for that in the room and she knows that story. And it's, such a, it's a gift. Um, it's a, I mean, obviously she knows that, but that's why she took the time to do it for you. But that's such a gift to a young actor to say like, no, this is wrong. <laughs> like, and, and the, these yeah. are precious chances. And, and if I were yeah. someone else in this moment, I might just write you off entirely. Yeah. And, um, and so then at the end of that year, my agent were like, Hey, we really don't feel like we're going to resign you. Um, I had signed a one-year contract and the idea of the one-year contract was to give myself flexibility. So you could have the out, right? Yeah. yeah. Maybe I'm pretty hot stuff. I don't know if I'm going to (laughs) be here for too long. I'll just use you up to the next one of the big five, please. I know. Right. But then, you know, it was funny because thank God, thank God a couple things happened. Thank God for Yoni Ovadia. Thank God that Yoni got on the phone with me right away. And he was like, let's ride this thing till the wheels fall off. I'm not going anywhere. And, um, and thank God, thank God for friends who who supported me in that time. And then, um, beautifully enough, um, Mark Sachs, who really saved my career, and he knows it. He probably knows it too well. Love you, Mark. Mm. He's listening. <laughs> um, Don't worry. Yeah. I was pretty- a gnat to Mark as well. I'm another one of the like gnats. Like Mark's like get mm-hmm. away from me, Jimmy. Um, but I went in for a really good general with Mark early on near showcase. And I remember him being really impressed with me and Carl Lundstedt. We were the two people in the general and he was like, I like both of you. Uh, and I did two auditions for him during that year, both of which I did like a callback with him later. He used to do these kind of like weird later in the day callbacks with the producers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then sure enough, like my first, I mean, I booked some movies. I was in a couple of movies at Carnegie. So I was already in the unions. Um, but my first like, uh, TV gig out of college, he called me in. He he called me in without my agent, just like reached out, was like, what's mm-hmm. Jimmy doing? I wasn't even in the city at the time. I flew back, did the audition, and was on set two days later. Then he gave me another job. Then he gave me another job. Mm-hmm. I think young actors, one thing I would give to you is you never, ever, ever want to burn any bridges. And one of the things that happened was for one of those TV gigs, Harden Curtis had sent me the appointment uh, but I wasn't signed with them. So mm-hmm. one of the things that happens is a lot of times an agency will hip pocket you where they'll send you stuff, but you're not on their roster. Mm-hmm. And Harden Curtis had not re-signed me, so I wasn't really so you're like, freelancing with them. Then we call it yeah. And I didn't even know that they had sent me the email, to be honest. But uh-huh. I booked the job. This was like my third job with Mark, I think. And a couple months later, I got a call from Harden Curtis, being like, "Hey, like, where's our commission on that uh-huh. um, on that job?" You're like, and I spent it in Vegas. I don't have it. It's <laughs> like, uh, have you seen the price of cigarettes? Hi. Um, <laughs> I don't smoke, everybody. <laughs> I just want you all to know this. Uh, and Yoni, to his credit, and Yoni, if you have a problem with me sharing this, you can call me. We'll blur um, But Yoni did what any good manager does, which is play bad cop. Mm-hmm. A good manager is your bad cop, so you can be good cop. Mm-hmm. And Yoni was like, you are not paying them anything. Like, mm-hmm. they ha- they ditched you. 
no way Mark was going to call you in no matter what. And he went to fight for me and uh, he sent an email a little harsh to Mm -hmm. some of my former agents was not received. Well, was pretty nasty via email, all of it back and forth. And I was like, I don't like this. I don't Mm -hmm. like this at all. And so I took the commission check in my hand Mm -hmm. and I walked to Harden Curtis and I handed it to the head of the company. And I was like, I'm so sorry. He does not speak for me. I, you guys mean a lot to me. I'm happy to pay you this. And you guys took a chance on me. I'll always love you all and respect you all. And I walked out of that office and a day later I got a call from Nancy Curtis that was like, can we get lunch? Yep. Got lunch. Day later, she's like, we want you back. And t- a decade later, this is where you are. And a decade later, yeah. we have a great, healthy relationship. I love that. I had to tell that story. Never burn bridges, actors. Don't it, do it. It's so true. You never know who's going to be in charge of the next job, who's going to be someone as a reference. Hey, what do you think about Jimmy? Like, yeah, you never know who's yeah. going to be. Your manager about. can. Let them be bad cop. You yeah. don't. <laughs> so in that post-showcase time, you know, obviously, I know at CMU, you did a showcase in New York, in LA. Some classes even do that third showcase in, in Chicago. But did you, you know, I just, you are devilishly handsome um, for those who aren't looking at the video. Um, and I know super into movies. Were you tempted by the LA world? Were you, were, did someone think, did you ever think, Hey, maybe I'm going to head out there for a little bit of time. Oh, Charlie, LA. I know. Yeah. Because everyone in LA, you get to LA and everyone is like, don't tell anyone I told you this, but um, you are going to be a star. Right, you're special. And you have to come right now. Right now. This is the only time for you to be a star. Ever heard of Tom Cruise? Matt Damon? You're better. You're better. You're better. We're going to make millions. Spider-Man, you are Mm Spider-Man. You're going to be a fucking star. And you're by the pool, Mm -hmm. and you're like, I'm Tom Cruise. Obviously, yes. And, And you're like, obviously, I'm coming here. I'm not going to the city that smells like trash. Right. I, I, I'm Tom Cruise. You avoid L. Ron Hubbard way. Uh, no, but, uh, anyway, yeah, L.A. is extremely enticing. And luckily yeah. for me, my manager is based in L.A. Uh-huh. So I I was like, cool, I have a footprint here. And outside at school, long story short, I actually signed with HCKR and an L.A. agency, uh-huh. TCA Jed Root at the time, which no longer exists. And they were splitting my commission 5% each. Uh-huh. Um and that's so why I was like, cool, I'll have a footprint in both. Because part of me was like, I am Tom Cruise. Yeah. So like, I was like, well, like I can't. You are. You're, you are. I mean, you know, it's like you are an extremely attractive person. Thank you. Thank you so much. You really are. Like, like, and that, like, not that that's the only thing that matters in the world. Of course, we want to I was saying that things, facetiously, but, but you're so sweet to me. And you no, know, but I'm it's really true. Like, <laughs> like, and, and you can see that. Like, I mean, I remember like one of my classmates who like turned into this big, huge, amazing superstar and he, you know, ended up winning all these Teen Choice Awards. I'm like, he was that kind of person. You go, you were just like so handsome to look at like yeah ian harding you're talking about ian ian harding i'm talking about ian harding yeah of course he's so so handsome handsome. he's sweet he's great it makes sense i'm like yeah go to la like that is that does make a kind of sense yeah um if you're that kind of person but but you chose not to you you chose to stick with new york no because first of all i went to school with two of the best musical theater writers of all time kyle wilson and sam french if you don't know them right now i'm telling you right now you will know them they're gonna win they're gonna win they're gonna win what are they? Tonys. They're going to win Tonys. Yeah, and, what are they? What are they? Um, you went to four years of school and what is the award you get uh, for musical listen, theater? If you, if you like Tonys, if you want Tonys and you've been in this business for a while, I'm like, 
leave the business. Mm. <laughs> you're here for the wrong thing. I'm like, that's fair. like that's fair. you get a Tony, you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I never expected this. But if you're like going around being like, I'm I Tony hunting, Tony. Uh, like, <laughs> it's like you're in the wrong business, man. <laughs> um, but uh, Kyle Wilson and Sam French, which, you know, the best part of going to CMU besides meeting my people for life was doing Playground. Mm-hmm. Um, where we take a week off of school and we are making student productions for a week. And I started collaborating with them and I've been in every musical they've ever done for the most part, I think. And I've kind of become one of their muses and they were going to New York. And I was like, I know that collaborating you with you Mm -hmm. all is the happiest I've ever been working on something. So I want to go work with you rather than, you know, worry about being famous. Mm. And, uh, and to this day, like, I still do their musicals. I still work with them. And, you know, when they get their Broadway show, I will literally um, do bad things to them if I'm not in it. So, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. is a threat. So. That's a threat. No, we're, we're keeping <laughs> that in for sure. Get ready. Um, all right, let's take a quick break. And then we're going to get a little bit deeper into your career on the back end. So back in a flash with Jimmy. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we are back with the great Jimmy Nicholas, um, and we're talking a little bit about your career. So I want to first start off um, putting that little bow on the do I do musical theater, do I do acting, and that like you end up in a musical on Broadway, as you're telling us a little bit about that. Like, so how does that conversation happen? And, and certainly, I guess with your with your agents and with uh, um, your managers, like in terms of like what your where your career wants to go, what kind of stuff you're going to be auditioning for. Did you say at 22, hey, I still really want to do musicals? Or was that more of a side um, possibility for you once you were, you know, graduating? Well, I think that, first of all, as an actor, especially in today's society, you want to be as versatile and as dynamic as possible. You don't want to be you don't want to be the kid in um, Licorice Pizza who the, the the who is saying or the the girl in Licorice Pizza rather who when the manager asks what she can do just says yes to everything mm-hmm. like when you can't you don't want to be the person who's like I speak Spanish and I speak Italian and I yep yeah, yep yep I can do it all but you do want to be extremely versatile because it's just a matter of like what are the what are the numbers like ten percent of actors are employed at any given mm-hmm. time but if you expand that to lots of different fields that you do, you have a better chance of employment. Mm-hmm. So I knew that musicals were another viable option for me to get salary doing what I loved. And for me, like telling story through song is probably like in my top three mm-hmm. most fulfilling things as a human being to do. Mm-hmm. So if I can get paid to do that, what a blessing. Um, 
for me, it was just like I sang at Showcase. I didn't even I I didn't talk about the fact that I was an acting major. I just was like, yeah, I sing. I sing. Right, nobody knows, yep. right? They just go, oh, you're a great singer. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, starting note, cool. I got mm-hmm. it. You know, you're always going to have to have a conversation with your agents because they're going to continue to direct you where they can make the most money off you as they should. That's what makes uh-huh. them good at their job. So when you start booking TV and you start booking movies, that's going to make more money a lot of times. So they're going to push you that way. Yep. And for me, I was like, hey, I still do this thing. I still sing. I still, mm-hmm. you know, um, and lucky for me, actually, um, when I was not represented by an agent, I I just constantly had circled the Book of Mormon and been like, I'm Elder Price. I can mm-hmm. play Elder Price. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, it's a shock that I haven't been into this for this since college. And in college, I had long hair, which I wasn't really going to book. Um, oh my God, I forgot about the long hair. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was your mustache. Was your You had Fabio hair in college. I remember oh, seeing that. Yeah. Like, what happened to Jimmy? Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a constant yeah. college thing. I mean, it's, that's a long story about why I got that long hair and why I kept that long hair. But I had just cut my hair mm-hmm. and um, I had never done an EPA before in my life. Hmm. And there was a Book of Mormon EPA. And I was like, if I go in and I sing this song and I look like I look right now, there's no way I don't end up in a book somewhere of somebody being like, there's this guy. A possibility for future. I remember her like EPAs are like where where people go to die. Like they're the worst. Mm-hmm. They suck. Uh, and I remember her like kind of like perking up in her seat and being like, have we seen you before? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no. She's like, you went to Carnegie Mellon? And I was like, yes. And she was like shook that they hadn't seen me before. And so then I I knew that it had gone well. I know how that works. I wasn't expecting anything like mm-hmm. within time period of that. But then months later, when HCKR re-signed me, all of a sudden I get a call like a week after HCKR re-signs me that they want to have me in for, for price on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And so it was also awesome because I was like, Hey, you know how you like just signed me? Like you're welcome. I'm I'm going. Here's a cool role. Yeah. They didn't they didn't send it to you. I'll send you the info. Yep. And um and yeah, next thing you know, I'm like in front of Casey getting worked on the material and and then um I end up I end up doing Mormon on Broadway. And um, you know, it's been an interesting balance because if you really have high aspirations in TV film, theater scares off a lot of people in that business mm-hmm. because you drop off the, the face of the earth for the months that you're doing. You're it. unavailable, they think, or whatever. Yeah. You're unavailable, and they don't understand why. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard. Like every single time a musical appointment comes through my email inbox, mm-hmm. my manager and now my Chicago agents as well, who I have in addition to my New York agents, mm-hmm. basically all are replying to me like, hey, please, please say no to this. Uh-huh. Please say no to this. We, we, you know, because when I'm available for TV film, I tend to make them more money. Yep. And, it's hard because sometimes I have to be like, Hey, this is a project that would excite me. Yes. So let's, we have to see how deep the rabbit hole goes. That's right. That balancing, what a beautiful, what a beautiful problem to have, but you have to be super cognizant of everybody has an agenda. What do I want? What will make me happy? Yep. And, and also like, you know, where do I want to be in five, 10 years? And you know, which, which projects are helping me get there. But all of these things are champagne problems. They're just champagne problems. And I'm blessed to have them. We talked about it with Brandon Victor Dixon. I think it was the end of the episode. We talked about sort of defining success for yourself. Brandon Victor Dixon 
The greatest performer. Other than yourself. No, Brandon Victor just- I told him, I told him Jimmy thinks this about you. I said, don't worry. I'm going to tell you this in advance. G- JCS? I'm not even, you know, I'm a, li- yeah. I, I can't yeah. even, he's, I would have lost my mind if I was. But the point time. was, the point was, was, was just, just about defining success. And that, and that like for, for, you know, for them, the sort of potential, the potential ROI of you booking the next Chicago fire is so much higher yeah. than the certitude of, I get this much theater dollars, but for your life, you know, success maybe is not only written by the dollar sign for you. You want to have that amazing theater performance that you go, this fulfills my heart and hopefully pays me too. You don't want to, you're not doing it for free, but you, you might say, I want to do that next musical with some of my classmates where this is the most thrilling thing. That's going to be a huge part of my resume. That's just as important as potentially that next dollar sign or next celebrity. But you have to define that success and advocate for yourself because otherwise the agents will say, no, 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 just stay, stay for this next big movie, which could be millions of dollars or whatever that the next thing. Yeah. And, and like at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Like I, I want to be Hugh Jackman. <laughs> like, I'm like, sure. So yeah. I'm like, how can I be Wolverine and right. also Harold Hill? <laughs> and like, also, Harold Hill. That's right. We've made it as far as we can make it without talking about Chicago Fire. And I want to hear okay, a little oh, bit about this journey. So, because now tell me if this great. is how, correct in terms of how I understand the journey. It seems like maybe you started off with a possible recurring role, which then turned into yeah. definitely a recurring big part of the, the show. And then you got killed off. Spoiler alert. Right. Is that is that a fair sort of um, description of the journey of like from some, maybe something to oh my god something to oh no I'm gone? Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I always do that too. I always say spoiler alert after the spoiler. Yeah, yeah. love it. Well, it's over. Um, I mean, what are they going to do? Like the, the, <laughs> three seasons behind on Chicago Fire? Like it's fine. You're dead. It's Someone over. just hit pause and is and is crying or yelling out. Yeah, whales. we should have blurped it. We should have blurped it. Well, yeah. So I was originally. It was like one episode uh-huh. and they were like we could use you for two more possible your availability that's how it's yeah right? which is not uncommon at all with those kind of shows where they go let's see how yeah. you do we'll see if we're, we're not yeah. offering you a full recurring or, or regular yet right and at the time also while i had lots of like film tv credits i hadn't been given something really sizable to chew on on yep. screen in a while yep and so I kind of know what that conversation was like, which by the way, I had, I had just gotten this Chicago agent, Grossman Jack, Bob Schrader. I had just signed with them to like get me some Chicago opportunities because mm-hmm. I'd done a show in Chicago and I was like, I can work here. I'm from here. I should get some Chicago local mm-hmm. stuff. First audition with that agency was wow. Chicago Fire, literally three days after signing the contract, which is I'm the, I'm the best client they've ever signed. Yeah, literally. You're like, that's exactly. uh, the first one, like, that, wow. I know I've said a lot of egotistical things, but like, that's nuts. That's, that's like extremely one. lucky. That has nothing to do with me. That's pure luck, but that's hysterical mm-hmm. to me. Um, and uh, luckily they, they signed me, but you know, I know what the conversation was on the Chicago fire side. And I know this because I've also gone back and shadow directed a few, ep- um, an episode mm-hmm. and, you know, talked to the showrunners and producers about this, but they <laughs> essentially were like, let's, let's see mm-hmm. what this kid's like on screen. It's one thing to do a good tape. Mm-hmm. And um, luckily, uh, and, and I mean, like whenever we bring in someone at Chicago fire, you're like the first episode is really the audition. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you go for any network TV, Grey's Anatomy, wherever mm-hmm. your first audition is your real, your first day on your first episode is your real audition. Mm-hmm. And I could tell in the writing that, the reason that they cast me was because they thought that I might be a love interest for somebody. 
Mm -hmm. They were like, I was about probably 10 years younger than the role was originally written. Mm -hmm. And um, I think they just liked my vibe and they were like, let's, let's get this kid in and let's, you know, give him some reps. He's got to make then, out with somebody. We got to have some kissing with Jimmy Nicholas on screen. It's got to Well, happen. it's kind of amazing because then, uh, my second episode, luckily, you know, I, I really saw it as an audition and was mm -hmm. like, I want to make good impressions here. And the Chicago fire cast and crew are, it's the best set. It's the best set in TV. Um, and they welcomed me with open arms um, the regulars, everybody. And, uh, so I got to finish out th episodes three and four of my contract. Mm -hmm. And it was like pretty quickly clear that Kara and I, who originally I was acting opposite of, and, and this is also true in real life, kind of had like a more of a brother sister vibe. Um, I think originally, I don't think I know originally I was brought in to be someone that could be a love interest for her, mm -hmm. but really like our vibe and as friends Kara and I are very much like extremely brother sister vibes mm -hmm. and I did one episode with like literally two lines to Hanako who plays mm -hmm. Violet and Derek who's a genius at this saw exactly what I saw which mm -hmm. was I re immediately was like I mean I vibe with Hanako she's one of my best friends on the planet mm -hmm. and I was like this, this, we, we could, we could work some chemistry yeah, here. Oh, yeah. This is right. We, mm -hmm. we, we have, and not that, and Kara and I, again, different vibe acting wise, opposite each other. Yep. But I felt that when I left set that day and surprisingly enough, I know that during those same times I learned later that Derek, our showrunner went to Hanako mm -hmm. and was like that same day that I was feeling like this, this could be something mm -hmm. and was like, I'm gonna put you with him. And then again, supposed to be two more episodes, maybe three. And next thing you know, I've been there, you know, a season and a half. Those sparks fanned into a flame is what you're saying. Yeah. And I think that it's also it's 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 even more than that. I think how you show up to a job and like mm -hmm. every single day that I was there, I tried to make a positive impact on whatever we were doing. Mm -hmm. And then like, you know, it that carried over into getting more opportunities. And then on top of that, like for me, I really respect the one Chicago fan universe the uh, uh -huh. fans are the best and i engaged with them uh in a real way i mm -hmm. i made it a point to not think that it was dumb that they wanted to make edits of me or you know anything like and, and this means like on social media like you're engaging with like on social re media reposting yeah, and, and oh here's oh my hope he hooks up with this person you're like i'm yeah, yeah me too. And, and and going on the 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 one chicago podcast meet us at molly's and 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 mm -hmm. in engaging in them and so they got to know jimmy who was pretty like like the internet still says i'm 64 years old like i was pretty unknown <laughs> yeah and so uh all of those things led to each episode. My fan base was growing and they were getting louder and louder and louder about this uh -huh. kid. And, and then also obviously the fan base's love for me and Violet um, getting killed off was, was really hard. Yeah. Tell me um, about that. Did they, did they give you any warning? Like how did you find out? Was it just like, Oh, this is my episode. I'm dead. Um, I, I knew, you know, I had, I had, I'm really blessed that I had people who were in positions to, uh, find out certain things to kind of give me a bit of a heads up as, as a friend. And, um, and I found out and, and everybody, I found out a little over two months from when we started filming my final episode, mm -hmm. but, uh, but a month before we, we came back for the next season because my agent, you know, was pretty, did some more digging and, uh -huh. and um, 
But what what I'm glad about that was it allowed me coming back for season 11 to feel like a a big farewell for the episodes that I was on because everybody on set knew what was going to happen and you know it was nobody's decision on set and I don't you know it wasn't any one person's decision right. but everybody took such care in making sure that we enjoyed like every last mm-hmm. minute of my time there. I mean, it, it definitely sucked because like I wanted to make Chicago fire like my permanent home uh-huh. and that's just not always in the cards. But, uh, you know, I basically got a farewell from that show. Like I was a series regular. Like, I mean, the things that they did for me was were unbelievably sweet and not normal. And mm. I'm incredibly grateful. And and that's why I went back to help uh, shadow a, a, our sh- one of our executive producing directors um, for an episode, a few episodes later. And then I appeared in an episode recently um, because I would do anything for mm-hmm. those people. And I would do anything for that family and what a lucky break it was. Now stop like talking them up. You, you're dead now. Like you can't be like, this is the flirt with other TV shows. You can't be like talking about your past. Oh, life. Unbelievable. No Chicago file. Listen, it's like, I, they, I I would never. I love them so much. They changed changed my career. Changed my it. career. Um, tell me about you mentioned being president of NIDAC, that's New York's drama alumni clan. That's for Carnegie Mellon University. It's sort of the yes. alumni network within New York. Um, I'd love to hear like first why you decided to do that. Um, you mentioned a little bit about that, and then also like how are you seeing you know because a lot of our students talk about like. I really want a, a strong alumni network. How do you see people actively and successfully use the alumni network for themselves? Yeah, I, I keep saying the name wrong. I'm sorry. We have officially changed it to New York Drama Alumni Community, so I apologize. Redacted. That was me. That was me. That's I, I only know the old. Words. No, okay, I, I did it wrong first. I'll take. I'll blame you too. You think when you go to school that the biggest investment dollars and cents into your education, if you're really being honest about it, you can kind of like give the facade of like training. Right. A lot of people believe the real dollars and cents value of school is showcase. Mm-hmm. They believe that. They well, see connections that as generally. We'll say connect yeah, like yeah, yeah. the industry. Yeah. Yeah. And especially at schools that have a highly attended showcase and you kind of get to skip like three to five years of what other people have to do to kind of beat the pavement. Mm -hmm. However, the real value of going to a lot of these schools is that you end up in a city with an army of people who are trying Mm -hmm. to do what you do. You don't have to go to parties and wherever trying to meet people who have are like minded. You have your three roommates to move to New York with already. You have Mm -hmm. your collaborators to make a production company with already and across disciplines you need a director of photography mm-hmm. you got someone you know you want to set you want a uh, production design or whatever like you have your people and um, I think that's the biggest asset and um, you know I think you use that alumni community by staying in strong connection to the people that you went to school with that you like working with and that mm-hmm. you enjoy their work across disciplines and specifically people who do different things than you mm-hmm. too. People who have skill sets that aren't yours. I'm terrible with a camera. Mm-hmm. I'm terrible with a camera. So I surround myself by people who are amazing with cameras because yeah. I can fill in the gaps on a lot of other things. And it's you like mentioned writers, right? Those people. You make a real connection yeah. with writers and playwrights. I mean, you know, always. Josh Harmon went to Carnegie Mellon at the same time we did. A bunch of my schoolmates have like done stuff with him. Like it's, that's amazing. Like to be able to use, you know, the connection that you got. And you mentioned Huge. Some of, of your own classmates. Um, what about like for yourself? Obviously, you're still a very young actor. The internet may say you're 64, but we know you're a very young actor still uh, actively in your career. Uh, how do you think about like, are you a one year, three year, five year plan person? Like, how do you think about if the goal is Hugh Jackman, what are the next steps for you to get toward Spider-Man, Wolverine or whatever you're going to be and uh, Harold Hill? Like, what what are you doing toward those 
one year, three year, five year. Plan. I love this manifestation that we're putting out in this podcast. This let's is make awesome. it happen. Why not? Let's make it happen. Um, well, I think that like, you know, I, uh, I'm a big vision and goals person in general, and I do vision and goals like coaching, um, mainly because Lululemon, shout out Lululemon fam. I love you oh all so God, much. No, they're not an advertiser of the pod. Give me copy. I'll no, read it. we can't do it. No, Lululemon changed my life. Lululemon mm-hmm. changed my life. Real talk. We could talk about that job. The Lululemon absolutely changed my life and uh, gave me a direction and a purpose. Uh, but they taught me um, when you come on at Lululemon, you do a vision and goals coaching your mm-hmm. first day. Before you've even learned anything, you do a 10-hour vision and goals coaching. <laughs> Which how cool is that? Like so you're cool. gonna be selling shirts and yoga pants and you're doing a vision and goals coaching with people who are very passionate about helping you achieve whatever dreams you have, not even mm-hmm. if they're Lululemon related. Mm-hmm. And so I took the technique that I learned there and I help friends sometimes with vision and goals coaching. And um you set this 10 year vision of your life. Um, you kind of do this like waking up in an environment sort of thing. Um it's obviously more intense than that, but when you journal out what that 10 years is like from that 10 year vision, you extrapolate goals. And really from like a, an acting standpoint, I try to make them uh, as unspecific and as general as possible because so many of the things in that field aren't in my control. Totally. So, you know, I want to go a year where I feel like every single audition in that year I prepared properly. Mm-hmm. I want to make X amount of dollars acting, which like at this point in my life, I, I can at least control that to an extent. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to say I want to make a million dollars, I can't do that, but right. I can invest myself and be like, I need to make this amount of money acting this year. You know, even if it's kind of uh, with my company, like um, really manufacturing ways to do that. Mm-hmm. But you, you make those general goals and then, all you can do is put yourself in a situation where um, where those opportunities present themselves, whether it's Marvel or DC, you know, and you feel like you're you're living up to it. You know, mm-hmm. I went in for two. I can't talk about it too much, but like two things that are very much in that world in the same week this week. Yep. And you signed six thousand NDAs for each one of them. Yeah, and I'm not gonna, I'm not going to get them. Not with that attitude, you're not. I put myself in a position to be in a conversation. Wait, where's the raise your hand? There's been enough ego. Where's the raise your hand saying, I will be a superhero? Where's that? This has been a podcast of me being like, I'm awesome. I rock. I don't need more of that. I'm embarrassed by how much ego you've displayed. I'm like, this is what they think we're teaching our kids. I I tell them confidence. I don't tell them ego. My gosh. That's amazing. You are going to book it. We're putting it in the universe. The next Hugh Jackman, you're going to book one of those. I was prepared properly for those auditions. And I did great. That's yep. it. That's I was it. eating a croissant after both of them. And I was like, you did great. You did great. Now go about your day. And like, for me, very my, different than my, the person in the mirror going, you suck. Why you are you sad suck. about this? <laughs> <laughs> that guy's there too. It seems like one of the ways you've prepared for all this is this fitness, right? So, I mean, I guess I knew yeah. you were an athlete when we were a kid, when you, when you were a kid, yeah. but you did not seem like this six pack buff like i see you always doing tough mutters or iron man or whatever you think you call spartan yeah. right i didn't know you did like how did has that yeah. always been something that you just maintained through college is that was is that part of that like hey this is just an energy that i have you talk about like competitive energy or was some of that consciously like hey i i do want to be Hugh jackman and his body looks a certain way and so i am trying to maintain that for myself okay so there's a huge revolution happening on the internet as far as fitness goes on. That's really been underway since the pandemic, the last two years about how we talk about bodies. Mm-hmm. And it really uh, shows exactly the change that I felt in myself, which was when I graduated school, 
I had run some marathons in college, but what I was tired of is that I felt like I was, I had my basketball team and mm-hmm. I would work out and I was like looking out. So I was working out so that like when I looked in the mirror, I was like, I'm a movie star mm-hmm. check or like whatever. So I could feel good about that. That is a terrible set of goals is entirely visually based and is not real. And what, what even is that? So I started training at a place called Tone House where I went on my first day. Uh, it's an athletic conditioning center in New York. Everybody should go there. Go there right now. I know this has been an ad for lots of things, but they're not a sponsor of the pod. Um, Jimmy, please. Listen, I go anywhere. I need you to go to I'm, Today Ticks. I need you to go to Better listen, Help. I mean, what are the places that advertise for the pod? I went to Tone House. I'm sorry. <laughs> I went to Tone House and I was surrounded by athletes who kicked my ass. They absolutely ran me up and down the turf mm-hmm. and were faster than me and stronger than me. And I was like, I want to. I want to beat these guys. I was training with guys who were in or on the NFC, uh, NYCFC and, uh, you know, even Knicks players for a couple of them. And I was like, I want to run with these cats. Like, I think I can. And so my entire training regiment became, I want to get faster and stronger. Mm-hmm. I want to get faster and stronger. I want to compete in fitness competitions. I want to, I want to be the best at tone house. I want to be faster than everyone on these sprints, have more weights on these sleds. And I became, absolutely obsessed with just like, I'm in my twenties. I want to be an athlete. Mm -hmm. And like, and I knew that that mentality was going to trickle out into Broadway into, Mm -hmm. I knew that mentality would show fruit would bear fruit in every area of my life. And I didn't care what I looked like without a shirt off. I really Mm -hmm. didn't. I cared about like, Oh, you know, this body can squat 400 pounds. Mm -hmm. This body can run a Spartan and win like against thousands of people. That's what I cared about. Mm-hmm. And like with my clients and, and same thing with berries and soul cycle, I'm a bit obsessed with helping people get faster and stronger mm-hmm. and making them, you know, top of the food chain people. And when I look at like my vision and goals, like most of my vision and goals in this life are like really are purely physical based, like mm-hmm. what I want to do physically, because I have complete control. Yes. And we talk about acting zero control yep. on a lot of things. Physically, I have total control. I mean, not, I mean, health is, you know, we have genes and things like that, but that's a beautiful dichotomy that you can take out a lot of frustration on an industry when you just focus on your vessel. I love that. And I wonder how much of that, just from a mental health perspective, to the kid who was screaming in the mirror and trying to beat the schools, I wonder how much of of the kind of subversion of that energy toward physical goals actually helped you with a healthier relationship with the business. Because I don't think you could have the, I have to book the TV show and I'm going to lift the TV show. Like whatever that energy of competitive more, 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 you need some of that in the industry, but it's going to you don't have, because of the lack of control, it's going to frustrate you if you try to muscle each of the auditions in that way. Yeah. And I mean, my, my therapist and I talk about it all the time. The fact that like physically for me is, is such a huge outlet of so much of my mental things. Um, but also, you know, and uh, like, I really love, you know, I love helping people get better and faster and stronger. I love it. I just came from a client session, my client, Brad, Who's killing it? Right, we're not I'm shouting like, out Brad on the pod. We can't, he's definitely not a sponsor. We can't talk about Brad. Brad's killing it. Brad, I'm proud of you. You know, rising tides. Like we're all, we're yeah. like, get everyone in the van. We're all getting faster and stronger. We're all getting more successful. We're yes. all achieving things. Let's well, and I think it. one of the secrets we talked about with Timmy with coaching uh, for high school or for college students is like in the teaching of it, you also, it does motivate you. It does lift you up to go, oh my God, I'm helping this person. I can help myself. And that like, it, it is a, it is, yeah, the rising tide is a good, 
a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, Jimmy, are you ready to play our stupid game? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All of our artists on the podcast, of course, play a unique game invented just for them. This is, I think, truly the dumbest one I've come up with, which I'm very proud of. Oh, sick. Your podcast is called Everything But the Kitchen Sink, yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to play a game based on kitchen sink trivia because this, if everything Love but this. the kitchen sink is your podcast, we're going to dive deep in the, the kitchen sink. Let's get in sync, as we say. Okay. The first question is, what is the average cost of a kitchen sink, according to some random site on the internet? Is it A, $75, B, $125, C, $160, or D, $200? Okay, so a kitchen sink lasts a really long time. So in order to make it worth the manufacturing, it's not going to be $75 and it's not mm-hmm. going to be $200. I'm going to say $160. It is $200. Great job. You try- oh, we beat you. Okay. We beat- the reasoning was good, but we beat Dang you with it. the – we mixed it around. Okay. Question two, which person infamously brought a kitchen sink to his first day of work at his social media company? Okay, so it's either Zuckerberg or Musk. I know Musk brought a cot. I feel like if that was if that if Zuckerberg had done that, wouldn't that have been like in the social network? That's like too good of a scene for it not Mm. to be in the social Mm. network. Okay, I'm going to say Elon Musk. Elon Musk is correct. That's right. I think okay. it was because he was firing everyone. So like everything but the kitchen sink had to go, I think was the yeah. his trollish thing that he was doing there. Okay. Yeah. The part at the bottom of the spout is called what? When you're looking at it at a kitchen sink, the very bottom, bottom of the spout, there's a little spout. part, right? It's called okay. A, an aerator, B, a spigot, C, a filter, D, a nozzle. Well, the spigot is a thing. I, I know the spigot. I don't know if the spigot is the actual end of it, mm. or if the spigot is the part that travels to the end. Because I mm. believe that a believe that a sprinkler has a spigot as well, mm. so water comes out of it. So I'm gonna go spigot. Mm, it's a great guess. I have absolutely no idea what a spigot is, but the right answer is an aerator. I just made the pulled the other ones mm. out of my aerator. Hand. Did sound nice. The aerator. It sounded good, right? I, I, yeah. I, I don't know that you're doing sprinkler stuff. This is kitchen sink related only. I know. Some of it's bathroom sink related. These are kitchen sink related trivia. Okay. I'm so sorry. There are three main types of sinks used in kitchens. Which of the okay. following is not one of them? A. A okay. drop-in sink. B. An undermount sink. C. A modern sink. D, a farmhouse sink. Okay, so the first two sound too good mm. to be made up. Not that mm. I don't believe that you could have made up good ones, I like Charlie. that you're. I like that you're taking us through the reasoning each time. I do appreciate this. Yeah. You're really, you're no, showing, this is two, like a game theory class. You're showing us how you think. I, I feel like if you were making up a fake sink, mm-hmm. modern sink, you would, you would go deeper than that. Mm-hmm. So a modern sink might actually be a type of sink. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go farmhouse sink. Farm, farmhouse sink is a great guess, but it is a modern sink is the one I Oh, know. I had I the two. Mm, you had it. I, You've done I, I very well with that. the narrowing. I keep doing You're, that. Yes, but you got Elon <sighs> right. You're doing great. Okay. You're about halfway through the quiz. The average human spends how many days in front of a sink in their lifetime? In this count, we're counting bathroom sinks as well. Any sink. I'm going to give you options. A, 350 days. B, 650 days. C, 850 days. D, 1,250 days. Uh, okay. So I would say that you're going to spend mm, five minutes in front of a sink. I'd say the average person is going to spend an hour in front of a sink in a given day, maybe a little bit. An less. Let's, let's go. Yeah. If you think like dishes, hair prep, things like that. Dishes. Are you, you're somebody who does the dishes clearly. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Good man. I trained you well. Based on your response there, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to say 30 minutes. I'm going to say 30 minutes as uh-huh. an average 30, um, times 
365. And then average life expectancy is 80. So times 80 and divide that by 60. What are my options? 350, 650, 850, 1250. If this works, if, if you do this and get it right because of this math. I'm going to say 650. Final 650 answer. is correct. That's the most impressive thing you've done on this podcast so far. I'm For those listening, Jimmy is fully flexing. His muscles popping <laughs> through a stretch. I, no, you don't actually flex. You just throw it up. You just throw, you throw it, it up. up. Sort of respect. Okay, question six. The average depth of a sink. Now, this is how deep a sink is. Again, according to a random okay. side in the internet. So average Sick. depth of a sink, is it A, 15 inches, B, 17 inches, C, 21 inches, or D, 25 inches? Well, you have to think forearm because your hands are going to like the bottom of the sink Mm -hmm. here. Yep. You're reaching in. (laughs) For those listening, Jimmy is like measuring along his forearm how deep the sink he's reaching. Yeah. I mean, like if I were to go like fist to bottom, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go 17. 17 is a great guess. And most people would make it 17. I'm just trying to throw you off game theory wise, but you did very well. Again, reasoning. It, it, yeah, that's a if tight one. If I said one. 13 or 15, inches. you would have said 15, almost certainly. I'm sure you No, would. I mean, I respect, I knew from the 200 answer that you that's weren't right. afraid to throw it out of your not afraid to do it, but twice? I got you. We're switching to a true or false. We're going to help you out a little bit. True or false? The okay. noun sink comes from the old English verb sinken, which means to wash or remove. The thing is that what's throwing me off is sinken, I would feel like, is to deepen in any mm. term. And mm. in, in, so remove is the opposite of that. Mm. But it's in the family. I'll say, I'll say true. Oh, you were there. It's false. Sinking is correct, but it means to go under or subside. To go under. It's about Did you see this, Megan? It's cruel. It's cruel. Okay, another true or false. You have two more true or false as we're taking it through. True or false. The phrase, everything but the kitchen sinks, comes from World War II when households were asked to contribute everything to the war effort, including all metal. But because sinks were often made of old ceramic slash cast iron, they were deemed too heavy. That's where you get everything but the kitchen sink. True or false? I'm going to say true. I'm going to say true. It is true. It's true. And that is the name of your podcast, basically. So you have to have that one right. I'm glad you did. Okay, great. Yeah. How poorly you did on this quiz, and you did really badly. How poorly you did is, is it's a sell for your podcast, right? Because it's everything but the kitchen sink. You know everything except the kitchen sink. You're not supposed to know the kitchen sink. Wow. I didn't realize I was coming to my own funeral. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, let, let's get into that. That's okay. Tales of my demise have been correct. I'm no, I'm dead. Tell me Wait, your Megan, reason. Megan, like, how many of those did I get? I got three. Two, I got what, three, three of those? Two, four. Yes. You got three correct. Well, I'll tell you what I want. I want a 50% grade on any you, of the ones that I got down to two on. No, absolutely not. Wrong. You did less well than a monkey guessing randomly, basically. I just want to be clear. That's oh basically, you did less well gosh. than well, the Hamlet. I've been told that a monkey on a typewriter at some point would come up with the Bible. So That's right. maybe That's I right. am that monkey. That's right. You are that monkey. Um, but I want to talk about, because you, because your pod, of course, we're now going to be on this feed. Uh, I'm thrilled to to be listening or heard by some of your new listeners or some new listeners to us, I should say. But tell me about what was the reasoning behind um, doing such a broad podcast, right? So doing an everything, because you do movies, you do sports. Like, tell me about like, you were like, I just want to talk to the world. What what was the, the impetus behind the, the sort of theme of your podcast? Well, I was sitting in the living room with uh, this was back in 2017, by the way, mm-hmm. which while I would say 2009, 2010 was like the dawn of the podcast, oh, yes. 2020 is the like Explosion. everybody has a podcast. Mm-hmm. Yep. 2017, you're still like a little bit niche if you had a podcast. You're so cool. Yeah, you're so, cool. 
you were you were cool, especially mm-hmm. if you were putting out like pretty frequent episodes. Mm-hmm. So just want to like check the res on that yep. one sure. to myself. Yep. Um, uh, as I just got told how terribly I did on this quiz, you know, I had to like rebuild myself up again. Uh-huh. Um, but I was sitting in the living room with my friends, and um, I think that my friends are the most interesting, funny, um, engaging people to talk to. And uh, I would like finish conversations with them, and I was like, "This has to be recorded." And specifically, I was like, I am that guy. I can record this. I can set mm-hmm. up a format. And the fact that for me, I feel pretty, I, I feel pretty good talking about almost any topic, you know, and topics that I don't know about. I feel really good having conversations with people who know a lot about mm-hmm. those topics. So I was like, perfect. I'm going to have a podcast where I can talk about anything that I want to talk about. And then specifically, it acts as a, a scrapbook to my kids someday. It's a scrapbook to my people. Like, I think that like, I will never be a scrapbooker. I will never Mm -hmm. be a person who like, but if you put together the fact that I have a social media footprint and I have a podcast with over at this point, probably 200 hours of me talking to my friends, like Mm -hmm. that's something that's, that's cool to me and talking to things that I care about, about things that I care about and, and just messing around with my friends and, and, um, as a creative outlet, it just became something that I had total control over. And another thing that was like one for me. And, um, and I came, I really went into it with no expectation about it being anything other than uh, an outlet of creativity Mm -hmm. with me and my friends. And that's anything that's come from it has always been, I've just been thankful for it because I just did it for me. And, um, so the fact that it's been really cool too, because it had, it's got its strong listenership. And then the nice thing is that with Chicago fire, um, a lot of people have gone back to the beginning and like re-listened to all the mm-hmm. episodes. And Kyle, who's probably my most frequent co-host, has a, a strong contingent of people on the internet who now know him and love him uh, from coming to the podcast uh, after Chicago Fire, which is really fun. I know it's one of the things you talk a lot about is NBA basketball, which is like my favorite thing on earth. So we're maybe offline we'll have to dig deep into some. What's your you NBA know? team? I like the Warriors. Don't, I'm, but I like the Warriors before it was cool, Jimmy, because Pittsburgh doesn't What's, have a basketball team. There's nothing wrong with saying you like yeah. the Warriors. It's beautiful basketball. It's beautiful, it's beautiful basketball. basketball. It's a beautiful game. Well, Selfless. It, it translates beautifully it, to art. We talk you, about ego and all that yeah. beautiful stuff. Yeah. And if you hate the Warriors, I don't like. I don't like you. Like if right. you hate the Warriors, you don't understand basketball. That's right. You That's can hate the Kevin Durant part of it. That's a whole other thing. If you're if you're like I'm anti that specific moment, fine. You, but the basketball anti- itself is beautiful. Yeah, you can be anti that decision, right. but when Kevin Durant was on that team, that's beautiful basketball. It's also that's, a beautiful thing if you're Steph art. Curry to allow a Kevin Durant to join your team. Like yeah. what a generous thing as an artist to go, I'm going to share this limelight with his he other He has no person. ego. He has yeah. no ego. He has, well, I'm sure he's, he does. He no, he has an ego. He has an ego, but he has just such control over it. He has such a, like, if we all have egos, right? Of course you do. You be, beat your chest and whatever, but whatever, to be able to navigate that as you did from the mirror to now where you are now uh, with Soul Cycle. Try. You know. You're trying to you're, you're I, I, trying to be the Steph Curry, um, yeah. but this is a whole other podcast diving deep into basketball. Most of our listeners are not huge basketball fans, unfortunately. Should be. Um, <laughs> just, I want to talk a little bit about social media because you are someone okay. who clearly has social media presence. Uh, just what is your sort of active um, goal with social media? Is it something you think about specifically for your career as an actor? How do you blend? Because I see you post about fitness, you post about all these different things. How do you sort of blend the like Jimmy Nicholas who's trying to be on the next Chicago Fire, the next movie, the next Broadway show with the sort of you as a personal human being? I mean, transparency, transparency and communication are the sexiest thing to anybody in life. Like, and 
as a person, if you show up that way in any capacity, people are drawn to that because it's very rare. So I like social media as an opportunity to communicate and be transparent about who I am and my interests and things I find funny, things I don't find funny, things I'm things I'm passionate about changing, mm-hmm. bring about real change in certain ways, things, whatever that may be, you know, work that I'm excited about and less worries about brand, less worries about being uh, a star or anything mm-hmm. like that. And for me, when so whenever on social media, I've been true to just who I am and things that I find interesting, funny, or worth posting about. I've always that's always bear fruit for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that like you like you screw your courage to the sticking place of being yourself, and that is your unique voice mm-hmm. because it's yours. Only somebody who has a six pack that he's not trying for can say that transparency <laughs> is the sex. No! Like, oh, people really into oh, me because of my transparency. It's really what it you, is. Yeah. Oh, I was mm-hmm. dead in the ground. You excavated my tomb. You excavated <laughs> my coffin and reburied me. You were like six feet's not deep enough. No, no. 12, 12 feet 12 deep. feet down. 15 oh inches my down. Gosh, um, no, can, can we? I'm going to give you a chance to redeem yourself. Because I noticed when I was doing research for this podcast, Jimmy Nicholas, I looked at your okay. resume, and on your resume, you say that you've memorized 500 digits of pi. Is that oh. true? This is your licorice pizza moment. It's on your resume. I'm going to give you a chance to it <laughs> to the world. Can you do it? Well, why do I put that on the resume? There's, yep. there's a, here's a question for you. Why do I put that on the resume? To show off how nerdy you are? To show off like, no. oh, I'm not, just, I'm not just a hottie with a body? Well, most people use, I think, the last thing on their special skills is a conversation starter. It's like, I bake the world's best cookies or whatever, which is great. But for mine, my conversation starter is also a story that I can tell. And then it also shows that I'm a quick, I have good memory uh-huh. so I can learn something quick. It's a, it's a skill in itself. I'm, I'm trying to show a skill with what is supposed to be the funny gimmick part of uh-huh. your resume. So. Uh, 3.14159265358979323846264338329571699937510589344 something like that something like, like that that's something like, like that that's pretty damn impressive jimmy if, if i if here's what i could do if you give me hmm yeah if you were to give me like 30 seconds and i would look at it i could uh-huh. it, it comes back to me like song lyrics because uh-huh. i memorized 500 digits when i was in 8th grade uh-huh. so and I memorized it because a girl said she was smarter than me. Uh-huh. And I said, wrong. no, you're not. I'm going to give it a well, I can memorize more digits of pi on pi day. And I said, suck uh-huh. it. You uh-huh. can't. Yep. And I beat her by one digit. Her name's Jordan Wright. She's very, very smart. She's okay. very We're smart. We're not calling out Jordan Wright on the podcast. My God, poor yeah. girl. What'd she ever do? Um, well, she's amazing. smart. She's smart. And I shouldn't have yeah. said that, but I did beat her by one digit. Although she says that I got the number wrong. And then on the second chance, I guessed it right. Either way, it doesn't matter. Check the resume. The plaque's up at the school. The plaque? There's still a plaque for you? Well, there. actually, this girl named Jenny Hanrahan, a few years later, who was the daughter of my favorite professor, made it her goal all of eighth grade to beat me. So her plaque is bigger, but because she did respect. No one's Jenny ever going to advertise on this podcast if we're just giving out free shot, free advertisements, free shout well, outs. It's unbelievable. Well, Jenny Hanrahan's in, a, in in New York City. She did Circle in the Square theaters program. She's Jenny Hanrahan's a killer. All right, She's Jenny, a killer out here. Pod, Jenny, it's good. Jenny, we'll talk about it. Um, <laughs> You've been given different versions of advice today, but maybe specifically if you're talking to a young person, maybe they're they're still in school, maybe they're right out of school, maybe they're a, a high schooler who's just about to enter college. But if someone wants to grow up and be like a Jimmy Nicholas, what advice would you give such a human being? Well, don't grow up and be like a Jimmy Nicholas. Grow up and be like right. a you. 
You're saying be like a Charlie Murphy. <laughs> be like a be like a Charlie Murphy. Yes, absolutely. I owe a lot to Charlie Murphy. So no, please be, be like a you, like be like a them, who are the listener. Yes. Yeah, and I think that the most important thing is this. It's like you always have to have the confidence that you are the best at what you do always and that you have something special and something unique that is worth saying a story that's worth telling and you are uniquely equipped to tell that story but the humility within that to know that you're going to do everything wrong and you're going to mess up in every way and you're going to find rock bottom after rock bottom after rock bottom but if you hold on to that confidence of i have something to say and I need to say it. Those two things make you powerful. That humility with that confidence make you indestructible. Mm -hmm. And then when you're done with theater and when you're done with whatever the arts have to offer or you move on to the next thing or the next thing, you bring those exact same th two things into every room and you show up as yourself and people will be drawn to it and you will find success. I love it. Such good advice. Now, if people want to hear more from you, we know they can check out at Jimmy Nix on Instagram. Um, they, yeah. of course, could sign up for random coachings with you at Barry's or SoulCycle or whatever they want to do. Um, is there anything else we need to plug other than you're about to be this uh, Marvel superhero that you can't tell us about? <laughs> any, any other places we should be checking you out? Anything you got? Knock on wood. Play? Knock on uh, wood, indeed. Uh, Manifest it. No, um, no. Uh, if you if you like cameos and you want to get on cameo, um, speaking of things you're passionate about, um, I'm on cameo, and uh, a huge chunk of the proceeds go to Sandy Hook Promise, which is a gun reform uh, nonprofit that I'm super passionate about and I've been raising money for. Um, so if you like supporting, if you, first of all, just check out Sandy Hook Promise before you check out anything about me. And uh, yeah, I love it, Jimmy. Thanks for the time today, man. It was such a joy. Well, Yowzer, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Jimmy. I had such a blast recording it. Um, he really kept me on my toes the entire time. Um, but he, it was just so heartwarming um, to see him, as it is with all of our students, kind of grow and succeed. And he has such a wonderful head on those beautiful shoulders of his. Um, I'm going to do a very short takeaway since this episode is already so long. Um, and I just want to talk a little bit about Jimmy's wonderful competitive energy. Um, you heard Jimmy making fun of himself a little bit in terms of his ego and how it maybe motivated him when he was younger. Um, and, you know, we talk a lot about the healthy ego you all need. Like three of my last four takeaways have been some version of... I need you to be more confident in those rooms, right? I basically tried to get confidence out of you every way possible. Um, but I do want you all to note that something that Jimmy did as he became professional is that he learned to channel that competitive fire. Some people call it like sublimated or whatever. I'm not a psychologist, right? But he found different avenues to channel in a healthy way that competitive energy we, that he had. We talked about this a bit in Josh Sagara's episode. Josh also had that wonderful, ebullient, competitive fire that Jimmy has. And it's a great asset to both of them, right? It helps them be the athletes that they are. It helps them work so hard in their careers and push themselves to be the best. And they both really have, have done that. 
But I just want to talk a little bit about the other side of that fire, since it's something you'll occasionally see in this business, and you can kind of catch glimpses of this this time of year with our college auditioners when they maybe encounter non-MTCA kids out in the wild, right? All of our MTCA kids, of course, would not do this. We tell them not to, but, you know, out in the world, you'll see a little bit of this energy I'm describing sometimes uh, in those non-MTCA kids. And while we love that idea of competing with our, ourselves and striving to be the best, there is a real danger if that energy ever takes a turn and becomes about cutting down others. You know, we talk about compare and despair for yourself in terms of what it is to kind of depress yourself um, in trying to live up to others. Like, you know, Jimmy with his frenemy, John, um, who he obviously learned to love because he ended up in his wedding. But I'm also talking about that other kind of energy which seeks to pull down others to try to lift yourself up. We've all seen this before, right? That kind of person who steals someone's music book if they leave it out or maybe they try to intimidate them outside of an audition by asking them what they're singing and oh that song's overdone or whatever kind of comment they'd make you know the kind of person who might gossip about someone behind their back or or just speak negatively or you know somehow um, try to bring others down uh, with our words or with our actions I want to actually remove the moral side of this for a second because I'm sure some of you like gasped when you heard that and you're like oh my gosh I would never do that right you know, of course, it is relevant in terms of the kind of person that you would want to be, and I'd want you to think about that from a moral perspective. But even from a purely selfish perspective, I will say that these kind of people never succeed. Full stop. I'll say that again. These kind of people never succeed in the long run. That energy will always catch up with the person who is putting it out there, and it ends up consuming them. You can maybe survive high school with that kind of energy. Maybe you even make it into college, maybe all the way through college. God forbid, sometimes you'll see it in the first few years of people's careers as they're going to EPAs and they're giving out that kind of energy in the, their early 20s. But that's about it. In the real professional world, just about nobody is going to have that energy. You know, it goes for many professions. A lot of professions will be like this. But especially this one where there are so many talented people. If you're the kind of person who brings down other people to lift yourself up, nobody is going to want to work with you. Again, there's just too many great people in the world and art making is too hard. Nobody has time to navigate all that. If you hear if someone hears that about them, go, oh, they're that kind of person. They go, great, I'm not working with them. Done. Easy, right? And part of the reason I also want to remove the, the morality from it, not only to let you know from a purely self-interested perspective, make sure you're not that kind of person, but also I, I do want to just say that I think it is really easy to empathize with those kind of people, Right? Almost always that kind of energy is not because this person is evil, not because they're a bad person, but because of their own insecurity, right? They are so insecure, they think they aren't good enough, that they have to take it out on other people. But as we all know, we've heard the quote, right? Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that, right? Uh, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. You cannot lift yourself up in the world on a ship of negativity, only putting out self-love and then extending that love to other people can lift your ship up alongside of theirs and alongside a beautiful rising tide. Well, that's it. Another episode of Mapping the College Audition. Please rate us, review us, tell your friends about our junior workshop, or attend yourself if you're not already an MTCA student, and follow us on all the socials media, which is all found in our show notes. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, do any of you out there call us Mitika or Mtika? Or do you all call us MTC Slay? We'll see you next week. Mapping the 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.